Yes, we have food truck Sunday next week. That's going to be pretty cool. Bring your lawn chairs and blankets and hungry people. Okay. I've been talking about uh, the supernatural ways of God, which is really about my favorite favorite uh, topic, God. <laughs> I'm crazy about that. I'm just crazy about it. <laughs> uh, John Mark said, I laugh before the punchline, and uh, I get to enjoy the joke twice. <laughs> and since I already know what's coming, I can't help but enjoy it early, so... Plus, it's just a peculiar thing I do, and um, I'm probably not going to change. So anyway, um, I, I just, uh, I'm so intrigued by the way the Lord is and by all the things you find in the Bible that, that describe him and just the stories in the, the lives of these people who had encounters with the Lord. And um, it really... To me, it's a motivating factor. Uh, you can't plumb the depths. You really can't plumb the depths of God, of what's called the knowledge of God. And um, the thing I've found over the years is the more interested or intrigued or curious you are, and the more you inquire of the Lord, the more opportunities, the more episodes, the more events, the more things happen that God reveals himself to you. And we certainly need the, uh, the academic understanding of the Bible. But, um, Jesus said to know him, him, not the Bible, but to know him was life eternal. And the pages of this book should lead us into, um, practical, personal knowledge of what the Lord's like. And um, it's, it's just indispensable. We need to know, we really do need to know the Lord. And so part, part of what I'm trying to do in this particular series is to make you hungry uh, to know the Lord more. Actually, I read this quote by Albert Einstein. He said, it's the supreme art of the teacher to awaken joy in creative expression and knowledge. And that's really what I want to do. I, I want to, I'm, I'm combining Bible stories and some of my own personal history, my personal encounters, my personal life in God. I'm trying to combine those two together to round out this whole idea of what it is to know the Lord. It's not just knowing the Bible, although that is important, but it's to come into an experiential encounter with Jesus. It's to have, um, uh, to be affected by the power of the Holy Spirit, to have your life changed. Your life won't change because you try to change it, but it will change when you meet the Lord, when you continue to develop that, that relationship. And that's what John Mark, Mark was saying. It, it, it's a bit crazy to say you have to change to come meet Jesus when Jesus is the one that helps you change. And so you basically come as you are. It's, you're just well advised not to stay that way because it doesn't end well. So anyway, let's, um, let's read together um, a little bit about Moses and the burning bush. But we're looking at divine providence. And we have on our website the first, uh, the first three of these messages. And I've been talking a lot about right place, right time, right person. The fact that um, almost no one ultimately fulfills their destiny without finding themselves 
maybe even unconsciously at the right place at the right time, meeting the Lord or people he puts in your pathway. So let's take a look at this. Let's read together here. I'll get back here so I can see it. And, and um, once again, the idea of reading out loud is words come out of your mouth. Okay, all right, just check it. Now, tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. Now, that, that was not one of the, uh, that was not Jethro Bodine from uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. That's not funny, so don't laugh, please. Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight while the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. Let's look at verse four one more time. And this is so important. God responds to responsive people. Moses could have walked right by that bush and maybe his life would never taken the turn it did, which was a remarkable turn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, let's say that together. So when the Lord saw he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Is there a next? There you go. Then the Lord said, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry Because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. One of the things that strikes me just reading that is where Moses has an encounter with the Lord nobody's ever had before. And God identifies him as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And what that means is God can choose to reveal himself any way he wants to in any generation. You know, a lot of people say, well, if something happens, you have a legitimate encounter with the Lord that changes your life. But it's unusual. They want to criticize or condemn it. But um, you can't set a precedent until you set a precedent. In other words, there's got to be a first time. For there to be a precedent. That means things can happen in your life that your mama didn't have happen. And your granddaddy didn't happen. And your great granddaddy didn't happen. But if you find characteristics of that in the pages of the book, you need to pay, you need to pay attention to it. 
So, we are looking at the life of Moses. And to understand, <clears throat> uh, to benefit completely, if there's a way to benefit completely from these stories, uh, but to understand more about how Moses got to this unimaginable encounter with the Lord, you need to understand a little bit about the history of uh, the children of Israel. If you remember, some of you may remember that um, Joseph uh, was sold into slavery, and he became, through an amazing process of right place, right time, right person situations, he became second in command over the entire nation. He had wisdom to preserve the life of Egypt and the rest of the known world through a time of great prosperity and great uh, famine. And he was reintroduced to his family who thought he was dead, except the brothers who lied about it. His dad thought he was dead for over, well, it was 22 years exactly. But what happened over time was after Joseph died, there was a Pharaoh who arose who didn't know him or the Hebrew people. And as they increased in number at an alarming rate, the Egyptians began to oppress them and actually use them as slave labor. So you, if you study the Bible closely, you will see that um, it says the children of Israel were in Egypt 430 years, but it says they were enslaved for 400 years. And the reason was for the first 30 years, they weren't. They were in good standing, but they grew, they multiplied. And over that 400-year period, the pharaohs became concerned that if they were attacked by an enemy, their slaves would rebel against them, and two things would happen. They would quit providing for their economy, and uh, they would join with their enemies and help defeat them. So that's a little bit of the background. One of the things Pharaoh commanded was that whenever, because they began to fear more and more this great host of Hebrews and the, the, the enslaved people group, he decreed that all Hebrew midwives should kill any male baby that was born. But the midwives obeyed God and they refused to obey Pharaoh. Actually, this is very interesting. They did not obey the government and they lied and God commended them. Figure that out. How do you, I don't know how you do all that, but, you know, Paul says, don't lie and the government's good. They didn't obey the government and lied and God honored and blessed them. So figure it all out. Bible's just not a very simple book, is it? So. When Moses was born, his parents refused to kill him, but put him in a small ark and set him in the bulrushes or the reeds. That's just such a great picture from my childhood in church. We, uh, some of the old codgers in here like me remember flannel graphs. How many of you remember flannel graphs? Yeah, flannel graphs are prehistoric forms of communication from Sunday schools from the 1950s, but... I can still see that little flannel graph of Moses laying up in that little basket. Well, you talk about divine providence. Pharaoh's daughter, now the daughter of the man who said, kill all these Hebrew kids, sees it, well, hears him crying, rescues him. Moses' sister happens to be there when it happens. Pharaoh's daughter asks Moses' sister if she will go get a Hebrew nurse who turns out to be Moses' mother and then agrees to pay for the nurse to raise the child. You can't make this stuff up. 
So Moses became the son of Pharaoh's daughter and was raised in the palace. Actually, the name Moses is not basically a Hebrew name. It's a, she was named by Pharaoh. It means drawn out because I drew him out of the water. Now, Moses grows up, and at 40 years of age, he has been going through apparently some kind of, um, I think, a pretty profound change. He, he most likely identified himself as an Egyptian. He was trained as an Egyptian prince. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. He had all the privileges of growing up uh, under those circumstances. But at a given point, he began to more identify with his Hebrew um, uh, family and his Hebrew culture than he did with um, being an Egyptian. And, of course, the story goes that at one point he saw, um, he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave. And the Bible actually says Moses looked to the left, looked to the right, killed the Egyptian, and hit him in the sand. And um, a little while later, he saw two Hebrews fighting, and he tried to separate them. And one of the Hebrews said to him, well, what are you going to do? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian. That's when Moses realized he was no longer safe to stay in Egypt, and he fled. So that's where we are. Moses is 40 years old. He's a fugitive. He's a murderer. And can you imagine what kind of um, crisis that would have been in his life. Um, how many of you know what it is to lose all your dreams? How many of you know what it is to wake up one day and your life be in such turmoil that you have very little hope of seeing it turn around? But one of the things I was thinking about this morning um, when we were singing, uh, You'll Never Let Me Down, that is true when you never accept the evidence yet of having been let down. Yeah. You have to conclude on your own that God let you down. But what you don't understand sometimes is you have put a period where the Lord has put a comma. And so one of the, um, one of the things you really do need to do is you need to, you need to stick with the Lord no matter what happens. Because it is true. Our God is a God that will never let us down. That doesn't mean we don't feel let down. That doesn't mean we get what we want. But if you can appreciate the fact that He knows what's best for us, if you can appreciate the fact that success can often come clothed as failure, then you'll understand we have a God that will never let us down. We talked about hope a lot. I've said, um, if I ask most church crowds, what verse of hope could you quote? Most people, a good majority, maybe not most, but a good majority would quote, hope deferred makes, yeah, everybody knows that one. But who deferred your hope? Hope can't be deferred by anyone else but you. And God has never let you down unless you have settled somewhere in your understanding of who he is and of his ways. You really, you put a period where he put a comma. You need to put the comma down there and say, to be continued, not God disappointed me or God let me down. Anyway, 
We could talk about that for a while. But here's what happens. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. Now, how did he become, how did he get that job? Well, when he fled Egypt, he shows up at this well. And at the well, there are these uh, shepherdesses feeding their flocks. And there's some other shepherds. And they basically push him out of the way. And Moses stands up for him, helps him feed their, uh, the sheep. And it turns out that through a course, an episode of time, Mo, the owner of the sheep gives Moses his daughter and they get married. So here you are again. Even when Moses fails, God never forgets his destiny. You know, that's an amazing thing. Please, please, please say, please say with me, God never forgets my destiny. I'm, uh, be 65 in January. And as far as I'm concerned, I have never entered into every aspect of my destiny. And I'm one of those guys that has spent a lot of time trying to get where I think God wants me to go more than most people, quite honestly. And the problem is sometimes the harder I tried, the worse things got. And, um, I had a dream one night, and in this dream, I was looking at this gun safe. How, how many of you know what a, a gun safe is? For those of you who uh, appreciate uh, the Bill of Rights, a gun safe is um, it's a safe for guns. You put your guns in there and lock them up. So in this dream, I was looking inside of this gun safe, and I saw not just guns, but I saw valuable items in there. And I couldn't distinguish what all of them were. And so I was asking the Lord, I said, Lord, what, what, uh, what's that in the gun safe? And the Lord said, really sort of casually, oh, that's your destiny. It's been safe the whole time. But see, we are continually warred against we, we, we have this, whether you know this is going on or not, the disappointment, the hopelessness, the lack of faith are all evidences of a warfare you have been in over who you are and what God has for you to do. And here is what the Lord wants to show us through what we've been looking over these last couple of weeks. Your destiny is safe. Just pay attention. Because one of the problems is unbelief and fear can blind us from the, the, um, from the very help of God when he comes to help us. So you find Moses there. You find him for 40 years following sheep. Now that, that's a very terrible concept to follow sheep for 40 years. What does sheep leave behind? Well, if you're following sheep, that's what you're walking through for 40 years, you thought you had it rough. Look at poor Moses. 40 years he's walking behind these sheep. And you know, most people don't realize that shepherds don't much leave, lead sheep. Sheep go where they want to and then you got to go catch them. Sort of like being a Christian. So, Moses is 80 years old. His dream's dead. His hope's dead. His dreams for success and leadership and prominence were dead and buried. 
wonder how he felt for 40 years. 40 years of disappointment. 40 years of having left what could have been the most prominent place in the most prominent kingdom of his day. Here's what Moses felt. Wrong place, out of time, no one to help. Until he runs into that bush. He came to Horeb, the Mount of God. Horeb means desolate or desert. The Bible tells us it was the back of the desert. You know, there's the desert, then there's the back of the desert. Let me say that a different way. There's the desert, then there's that, the back of the desert. And the back of the desert is a mountain called desolate. Moses is thinking, I blew it 40 years ago. Gosh, they pulled me out of a a river of crocodiles and put me in the king's palace. I had it made. I felt called to deliver. I felt called to deliver 2,000 Hebrew slaves. So I I kill that one Egyptian, but it's probably not the best way to go about it. I I should have done that differently. 40 years. Not only in the desert, now I'm in the worst part of the desert. Who's ever felt, anybody felt that way? You're not just in a bad spot, you're in the worst part of the bad spot. It's desolate, that means you're lonely. It's desolate, that means you're dry. It's desolate, that means there's no coffee. That's sort of good news, bad news. It's good news that God lots of times meets people there. It's bad news that sometimes you've got to get there for God to meet you. Is that okay? Is that okay? He was desolate. I love this though. The angel of the Lord appeared to him a flame of fire in the midst of the bush. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I will turn aside and see this great sight, Moses says. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Then the Lord says, take the sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holding ground. And then the Lord says this, Moses, I've heard the cry of your people. Do you remember those people you tried to deliver 40 years ago and you were highly unsuccessful and you killed that guy and they haven't tried you for murder yet, but that charge could still be pending? I want you to go back and I want you to go tell Pharaoh to let them go. Right. I couldn't even take care of one. You want me to take care of the whole nation. But here's what we see. In a moment in time, your life can change. In the worst possible conditions... Your life can change. John Mark talking about this morning, you don't have to change to come here. No. But what we do know is we know a God who can do something individually for everyone and anyone in here where in a moment in time with you finding yourself unconsciously in a place that he has provided for you, your life can change. Your hopes can be 
reawakened. Your dreams can be re-inspired. Your life can change in a single moment in time. God can and God will use the worst of situations to do it. See, that's the most amazing thing. We, we, um, we insulate ourselves. We, we um, protect ourselves. We do everything we can to ensure that our lives and the lives of our family are going to work. But here's a God, when everything falls apart, he can make it work. And there's a point where he will absolutely frustrate all the things you are trying to do as Lord of your own life to make sure you don't fail that will absolutely fail to bring you to the point where you meet God in a way that is so remarkable, so wonderful, so life-changing, so contagious that you will conclude whatever heartache there was, whatever pain there was, whatever confusion there was, it was worth it because of who you have found him to be and who he says you are that you never saw, even with all your effort and all your trying. And we find that over and over throughout, throughout the Bible. God can change your life with very little help from you. God can change your life in a way that will catch you completely off guard. Even when it looks like you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. Maybe you married the wrong woman. Maybe you married the wrong man. Maybe it didn't work out. God has a way of using every one of those missteps as stepping stones into knowing him better than if you'd never made a mistake, although you can't make mistakes on the basis that God will help you know him better. You can't mess with him. You can't fool around. But he is so good, he will cause your missteps to become stepping stones into knowing who he is and being better equipped at life than when you were when you made all those mistakes and went the wrong way. That is so good. Moses thought his life would never change, was all but over when the best part of it was about to begin. Life begins at 80. He had another 40 years that would make the, the, the first 80 years pale in comparison. Think about it. He went to dodging sheep poop to seeing the God of the universe do amazing miracles that shook an entire nation to the degree that he could liberate two million slaves. One single man who met God the way God wanted to introduce himself could save an entire people group. I think we've sold the Lord short. Wow. Now, I'm going to end with this, but this is about half of, or a third of what I have here, but um, we have the rest of our lives. God responds to responsive people. The Bible says in verse 4 of Exodus 3, it says, So when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. 
a lot of times God will wait to see if we will respond, how we respond, um, before he will enable us to go to, to the next place. Is that making any sense? Here's what I'm trying to say. Curiosity. Curiosity is the key to growing in faith. Curiosity. See, you may think, I don't understand. How, how do I know I'm supposed to respond? Well, here's what I'm saying from something I've said this morning. It should make you curious about Exodus chapter 3 in the life of Moses. If you get curious and go begin to look into this and ask the Lord about it, you have just responded to God in a way that will release him to respond to you. Moses could have walked right by that bush. And his life may have never taken on this last 40-year unbelievable history that it took because of that one simple key. He wasn't curious. He didn't respond. He didn't care. Albert Einstein said, I have no special talent. I'm only passionately curious. He also said the difference between stupidity and genius is that genius has its limits. He also said, only two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity, and I'm not sure about the former. He was, he was interesting. But one of the things he also said is about imagination. Imagination is everything. It's the preview of life's coming attractions. And see, there's this idea about being curious and being imaginative that are sort of basic building blocks to a robust faith. You need to be curious. You need to let your imagination run with you. You you don't need to let deadhead preachers who don't believe much of the supernatural stuff in the Bible um, take away from you your imagination and your curiosity and your desire to know God in ways other people maybe have never known him before because that's what the story of Moses tells us. There are places in God we can go that are orthodox, they're real, they're powerful, that very few people go, that we can go there if we are curious enough and imaginative enough and it will radically alter what a church looks like and it will radically alter what a city looks like and it will radically alter what a generation will look like and it will change what your family looks like when your children grow up and they see you're not like those other people. There's something so genuine about you. There's something so green about you. There's something so lively about you. There's something so creative about you that their DNA kicks in with your DNA. So you need to be curious, and you need to make room. You know, God won't barge in. He will light up that bush, but he won't make you stop. That's right. Oh, this is so good. God, you're so good. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we just make room for you. Um. We take time for you, Lord. Uh, here's another thing. I think I'll close with this, maybe. Um, 
this whole thing about making room, you need to be in, to know the Lord at the deepest and the best levels, you need to be willing to be inconvenienced. Because God will speak to you at an inconvenient time. I just, just, Don and I spent four days at the coast and we just did the most wonderful nothing you can imagine. We watched the ocean. It's still the same. Thank God it's there. I enjoy just something about watching the ocean feeds my soul. And, um, but a couple of nights ago at about four in the morning, I had a dream about a friend of mine. And in that dream, he was in a struggle and he had decided he was just simply going to quit. And I said to him, um, no, no, please don't quit. I, I said, the worst that'll happen to you, the worst, and it's probably a lot better than this, but the worst that will happen to you is you will know you have done the right thing and you will know you went the distance. And both of those are worthy um, attributes. And so I called him up and I told him the dream. And he basically said, man, I know exactly what that's about. That is so helpful. This is such an encouragement to my life. But let me tie in the inconvenience. If I had not gotten up at four in the morning and written that down, I would not have remembered it the next morning. And see, if you want to know God, you have to be willing to be inconvenienced. You need to be curious. And he will stimulate your curiosity. He really will. So here we go. Here's Andy Squires. Let's give it up for Andy Squires. All right. Uh, I watched a Netflix documentary uh, called The 100-Year Show. It's about an artist named Carmen Herrera. And the, the, the film showed her uh, doing an art show um, for her 100th birthday. And the amazing thing about it is, is that she wasn't discovered until she was 95 years old. And now her paintings hang in the Smithsonian and in every major museum in New York City and Paris right now. And so um, things take time, don't they? And one thing Eric always, Eric Kirchin always says to me is, we're making wine. We're not making bread. We're making wine. And there's a time in that process. The best wine is older. And I feel like the Lord is the great vintner. He is out of our lives making something truly beautiful. And I've, I've, in my life, I've felt a lot of pressure to get things done by the time I was 30 years old. And, um, and in pursuing that type of stuff, sometimes you feel like you've failed and you've wasted time and you've had years of your life wasted. But truly, there's nothing wasted in God's economy. There's nothing that you have pursued that didn't work out in the natural that God is not going to reconcile and redeem in your lifetime. I totally believe that. So, um, you know, what a challenging and good message that uh, Robin um, gave us this morning. I know I, I was just writing a whole bunch of notes this morning. So um, thanks for that, Robin. So what I want to do now is I want to uh, uh, invite Miss Donna up because we're going to pray for some people this morning. We want to pray for Abby. She's got a, a mission trip coming up to, uh, she's going to Sweden. Abby, are you in here? Come on up, come on up. 
And if we, if we could get some people to come lay hands on Abby, and Donna's going to um, lead us in prayer for, for Abby, and then we've also got another prayer request. Okay, Abby. I believe Abby leaves this Friday. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I fly out Friday. Okay, for how long? Uh, ten days. Ten days. Okay. Lord, first, I want to thank you for this opportunity for Abby. It's such a privilege, Lord, that we get to go other places and represent you, Lord. And um, just thank you for that opportunity for Abby. Lord, we pray, of course, for her safety. And, Lord, that you would, um, that she would just see you, Lord. Lord, that, like Robin was saying, Lord, you would... Be in different places and things that she didn't expect and that you'll give her the discernment and the heart to stop and pay attention and ask and that she would experience you in, in wonderful new ways that she never has before. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity for Abby and for these folks that she's going to go and be a blessing to, Lord. We just bless her and look forward to this opportunity, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Also, we have one more very important um, item for prayer. Um, Mackenzie Petrino was admitted to the hospital last night after a couple visits to the ER. Pretty um, crazy weekend. They, by CAT scan, they found out that she had infected lymph nodes. And her, her neck and her face are just so swollen. She looks like a little chipmunk. It's pretty pitiful. She's had a real high fever. But what they're doing now, <clears throat> they have her on an IV for two days um, for antibiotics. Um, and after 24 hours, they'll see how it goes. There's a possibility that they would have to do a little surgery to, for some drainage in there. So her parents really don't want them to have to do that. So I just want you to agree with me for the Lord to, for these antibiotics, for her immune system, for the Lord to touch her, and that this would turn around quickly and she would be out and strong and back to normal, smiling and happy again. Lord, we do. We do ask this for Mackenzie, that you would touch her little body, Lord, that you would take the pain away, Father, um, that you would begin healing, um, that she would be strong again, Lord, and that um, just a quick healing for Father, that the antibiotics would work, that her immune system would do what it's supposed to, and that she would be healthy and strong in no time, that they would not have to do any surgery either. And, Lord, we also pray for TJ and Rebecca, Lord, for peace, Lord, for your calm, your peace, your confidence to rest on them, that you would give them opportunity to get some rest too, Lord. And we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to stand with folks like this, Lord. We bless them in Jesus' name. Amen.
All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and move into ministry time. So if Stephen and his team, if you're on the ministry team this morning, just come on forward. And we just want to invite people up for prayer right now. If you want to respond to the message in any way, or if you have any other specific needs in your life that you would, uh, you want prayer for, these folks are more than willing to pray with you and over you. Did you want to say something, Stephen? All right. That's go great. for it. Yeah. Yeah, God by very nature is a communicator. And um, in the beginning uh, was the word and the word was with God. And he speaks to us. And as we saw in the message this morning, him speaking through the bush, um, he communicates in a very unique way. And I've seen, I've seen the Lord completely transform someone's life and destiny just through a prophetic word, um, through a prayer for healing, um, deliverance.